ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد <تصفيق> So continuing with the supplications and du'as that can be read in the morning and the evening. In this section, it is going to give an example of one of the du'as that can be read. It mentions, إِنَّ مِنَ الْأَذْكَارِ الْعَظِيمَةِ وَالدَّعْوَاتِ الْمُبَارَكَةِ الَّتِي يَنْبَغِي عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِ أَنْ يُحَافِظَ عَلَيْهَا كُلَّ صَبَاحٍ وَمَسَاءٍ from the great supplications or remembrances, blessed supplications that a Muslim needs to guard over every morning and every evening. مَا ثَبَتَ فِي صَحِيحِ الْبُخَارِ مِنْ حَدِيثِ شَدَّادِ ابْنْ أَوْسِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال So one of those great and blessed supplications that can be done as part of the remembrances of the morning and evening is what is mentioned established in Sahih al-Bukhari from the hadith of Shaddad ibn Aws رضي الله عنه that the Prophet ﷺ said, Sayyidul Istighfar an Yaqul, that the head of the remembrances of forgiveness, the head of the forgiveness, seeking forgiveness, is that a person says, Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa ant, khalaqtani wa ana abduk. وَأَنَا عَلَىٰ عَهْدِكَ وَوَعْدِكَ مَا اسْتَطَعْتِ أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا صَنَعْتِ أَبُوءُ لَكَ بِنِعْمَتِكَ عَلَيَّ وَأَبُوءُ لَكَ بِذَنْبِي فَاغْفِرْ لِي فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا أَنْتِ مَنْ قَالَهَا مِنَ النَّهَارِ مُوقِنًا بِهَا فَمَاتَ مِنْ يَوْمِهِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يُمْصِيَ فَهُوَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَنْ قَالَهَا مِنَ اللَّيْلِ وَهُوَ مُوْقِنٌ بِهَا فَمَاتَ قَبْلَ أَنْ يُصْبِحْ فَهُوَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ The meaning of that dua, we'll come to it now in a moment. With each section we'll explain it. But generally first, هَذَا دُعَاءٌ عَظِيمٌ جَامِعٌ لِمَعَانِ التَّوْبَةِ وَالتَّذَلُّلْ لِلَّهِ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى وَالْإِنَابَةِ إِلَيْهِ This is one of the great supplications, comprehensive in covering all the meanings of tawbah, of repentance and humility to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and returning back to Him. وصفه صلى الله عليه وسلم بأنه سيد الاستغفار 
The Prophet ﷺ described this particular dua as being the head of seeking forgiveness, the words and the supplications within it. وَذَلِكَ لِأَنَّهُ قَدْ فَاقَ سَائِرَ صِيغَ الْإِسْتِغْفَارِ فِي الْفَضِيلَةِ And that is because this dua, it is over and above all of the other supplications uh, in virtue for the ones where you seek forgiveness from Allah with. وَعَلَى عَلَيْهَا فِي الرُّتْبَةِ And this supplication is superior in its rank and status compared to those others. وَمِنْ مَعَانِ السَّيِّدِ أي الَّذِي يَفُوقُ قَوْمَهُ فِي الْخَيْرِ وَيَرْتَفِعُ عَلَيْهِمْ And from the meanings of a Sayyid is the one who is above the other people of his uh, 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 nation, the others from his people. He is the superior of them all. وَوَجْهُ أَفْضَلِيَّةِ هَذَا الدُّعَاءِ عَلَى غَيْرِهِ مِنْ صِيَغِ الْإِسْتِغْفَارِ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بَدَأَهُ بِالثَّنَاءِ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَالْإِعْتِرَافِ بِأَنَّهُ عَبْدٌ لِلَّهِ مَرْبُوبٌ مَخْلُوقٌ لَهِ عَزَّ وَجَلٌ And one of the reasons... Why this particular dua is superior to others is because it begins by the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is from the forms of seeking forgiveness that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam began with that praise upon Allah and recognizing that you are a servant of Allah, that you are from His creation, you are His servant, you are under His nurturing, recognizing all of those things at the beginning of the dua, shows that you recognize and understand and acknowledge that you are simply a small creation from the creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you are in poverty and in need of supplicating to your Lord. So beginning in that way, it is virtuous in seeking forgiveness, shows the humility of that servant, asking Allah for forgiveness. وَأَنَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ الْمَعْبُودِ بِحَقِّ وَلَا مَعْبُودَ بِحَقٍ سِوَاهُ And that you recognize and acknowledge with the opening of this dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-ma'bud. يعني al-ma'luh, al-ilah. He is the one deserving to be worshipped. You are acknowledging and recognizing from the start of the supplication. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one deserving of worship. He is the one deserving of all ibadah. And that there is no one besides Him deserving of worship. And that is the very basis and essence of tawheed. 
لا معبود بحق إلا الله that there is no one deserving of worship in truth except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no other deity they are all false deities only Allah is the truth وَأَنَّهُ مُقِيمٌ عَلَى الْوَعْدِ ثَابِتٌ عَلَى الْعَهْدِ مِنَ الْإِيمَانِ بِهِ وَبِكِتَابِهِ وَبِسَائِرِ أَنْبِيَائِهِ وَرُسُولِهِ At the beginning of this dua, you are also affirming that you are upon that covenant of Allah and that promise of Allah with your iman in Him. And your iman in his books and in all of the other prophets and messengers. وَأَنَّهُ مُقِيمٌ عَلَى ذَلِكَ بِحَسَبِ طَوْقِهِ وَاسْتِطَاعَتِهِ And that you as a servant are implementing that and you are upright upon that way as a servant of Allah. In accordance to your ability. ثُمَّ اسْتَعَاذَ بِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ مِنْ شَرِّ كُلِّ مَا صَنَعَ مِنَ التَّقْصِيرِ فِي الْقِيَامِ بِمَا يَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ شُكْرِ الْعَامِ وَارْتِكَابِ الْآثَامِ Then on top of that, you are seeking refuge in Allah. Seeking refuge with Him. Asking him to protect you from the evil of everything that he has done, that you have done from your shortcomings. The evil of everything you have done from your shortcomings in terms of your uh, implementation of what is obligatory upon you. Every servant has his shortcomings in implementing the commandments of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you recognize that and you acknowledge that and that you have a deficiency in showing your thankfulness and gratitude to Allah for all of that which He has blessed you with and that you have a deficiency in regards to the fact that you fall into sins and you fall into wrongs. ثُمَّ أَقَرَّ بِتَرَادُفِ نِعَمِهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَوَالِ عَطَايَاهُ وَمِنَنِهِ Then you also in this dua acknowledge the great number of blessings and the great number of what Allah has bestowed upon you. وَاعْتَرَفَ بِمَا يُصِيبُ مِنَ الذُّنُوبِ وَالْمَعَاصِي And you are acknowledging what you have done and what has occurred from you in terms of your sins and shortcomings and wrongs. Thumma, then after all of that, سَأَلَهُ سُبْحَانَهُ الْمَغْفِرَةَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ كُلِّهِ After acknowledging your shortcoming, acknowledging your weaknesses, acknowledging your sins, after acknowledgement of all of those things, then... You seek forgiveness from all of that. And you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you upon all of that. مُعْتَرِفًا Whilst acknowledging 
بِأَنَّهُ لَا يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ سِوَاهُ سُبْحَانَهُ You acknowledge and you realize and you know and recognize that nobody can forgive the sins except He. It is only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who can forgive you for the shortcomings and the sins and the wrongs. And so you recognize that and acknowledge that and make your dua sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَهَذَا أَكْمَلُ مَا يَكُونُ فِي الدُّعَى And this is the greatest perfection you can have in your method of making dua. That you begin by highlighting your deficiency, your acknowledgement of your sins and wrongs, acknowledgement of you being just a small servant and slave, a small creation, acknowledging your humility, and then after that, seeking forgiveness from Allah the Almighty upon what you have done. وَلِهَذَا كَانَ أَعْظَمَ صِيَغِ الْإِسْتِغْغَارِ وَأَخْضَلَهَا وَأَجْمَعَهَا لِلْمَعَانِ الْمُوجِبَةِ لِغُفْرَانِ الذُّنُبِ And that's why this particular du- <coughs> dua is the best form, the best wording of a dua that you can make in seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now to break down the wording of this dua and what it means. So at the beginning of the dua, it starts with Allahumma. Allahumma. This particular word, obviously you hear it in many duas, Allahumma, Allahumma. And it basically means, Ya Allah, O Allah. Basically, in a nutshell, that is the meaning Ya Allah, حُذِفَ مِنْهَا يَا أَنِّدَةً وَعُوِّضَ عَنْهَا بِالْمِيمَ الْمُشَدَّدَةً They explain the grammar of how this word works. That originally there would have been a ya there, and then it was changed grammatically until it becomes Allahumma. But it's basically the meaning of Ya Allah. So you're calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so... This word, Allahumma, it is a means of you calling upon Allah, saying, Oh Allah, that is basically the meaning of Allahumma in very brief, uh, in a brief way. And then, Anta Rabbi la ilaha illa ant khalaqatani wa ana abduk. You are my Lord and there is no one deserving of worship except you. You are the one who created me and I am your servant. That is the phrase that is used at the beginning of the dua. Anta Rabbi, you are my Lord. An acknowledgement of the rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That he is the Khaliq, the Malik, the Raziq, the Muhyi, the Mumit. He is the one who is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the one who gives life, the one who gives death, Al-Mudabbir, the one who controls all of the universe and what happens. You're acknowledging that here. 
You're acknowledging that by saying, Anta Rabbi, you are my Lord. That is what you're acknowledging by that statement. La ilaha illa ant. And then straight after that, you're acknowledging the uluhiyya of Allah. That there is no one deserving of worship in truth except you. This is the value and the importance of understanding the du'as, the supplications that you read. Without understanding these things, then the impact of that du'a is limited for the one using it. But if you understand in that opening section, you have now affirmed the rububiyyah of Allah. You have affirmed the uluhiyyah of Allah. At the start of your dua, Anta Rabbi, La ilaha illa ant, Khalaqatani wa ana abduk. This in reality is again emphasizing what you've already said. Khalaqatani, you are emphasizing your acknowledgement of the Rububiyyah of Allah. وَأَنَا عَبْدُكَ That is, in essence, an emphasis of the uluhiyyah. I am your slave. In your obedience, in your worship. So now the opening phrase of this dua, it is affirming, but not just affirming, emphasizing on top the rububiyyah and the uluhiyyah. Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So within this is your humility and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And within that is your your poverty before Allah, that you are in complete need of Allah. Your recognition of your absolute lowness as a small creature, that you are in absolute need and necessity from Allah. Your inkisar bayna yadillah. That you are in that state of loss otherwise. It is only Allah. And you know that it is only Allah who can answer and help you in your affairs. So you are there in a state of humility and absolute humbleness and absolute recognition of your poverty and need to Allah. وَإِيمَانٌ بِوَحْدَانِيَّتِهِ سُبْحَانَهِ فِي رُبُوبِيَّتِهِ وَأُلُوهِيَّتِهِ And it is Iman in the oneness of Allah in His Rububiyyah and in His Uluhiyyah. فَقَوْلُهُ أَنْتَ رَبِّي أَيْ لَيْسَ لِي رَبِّ وَلَا خَالِقْ سِوَاكْ When you say أَنْتَ رَبِّي at the beginning of the dua, an affirmation from you that, O oh Allah, I have no creator besides you. O oh Allah, I have no Lord, the one who controls and sustains and provides, no one other than you. والرب هو المالك الخالق الرازق المدبر لشؤون خلقه. And the الرب 
is the owner, the creator, the provider, the controller of the affairs of his creation. فَهَذَا إِقْرَارٌ بِتَوْحِيدِ الرُّبُوبِيَّةِ So this is an acknowledgement and affirmation of the tawheed of al-rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلِهَذَا أَعْقَبَهُ بِقَوْلِهِ خَلَقَتَنِي And that's why he followed it up with the statement in the dua, You created me. أَيْ أَنْتَ رَبِّي الَّذِي خَلَقْتَنِي لَيْسَ لِي خَالِقٌ سِوَاكْ That you are my Lord who created me and I do not have, I do not have any other Lord besides you. <coughs> and you remember, before maybe once we mentioned the story of the young boy, they narrate the story, the scholars, that on one occasion there was a leader from the times gone by, and he claimed that he had rububiyyah. He claimed he could give life. And so he, this ruler at that time, in the times gone by, he brought a jar with some rotting meat in the jar. And he closed up the jar. Showed all of the people, showed them, Said to them, is there anything alive in the jar? They said, no, just a piece of rotting meat and that's it. Nothing else, nothing alive in there. Closed up, sealed up the jar. Then left it there in public view. After a day or two, no one's tampered with it, it's there, visible. After a couple of days, he comes back and he says to them, look, I have created life in this jar. And nobody had tampered with it. It was visible, open, public. And there was life in the jar. There were maggots in the jar. He said, two days ago when I showed you this jar, was there anything moving around in it? Was there anything alive in it? No, there wasn't. But now you see, it has not been tampered with public here. You can see, now I have created life in this jar. And there is movement and there are maggots. And he claimed he had created that life in the jar. But then it is mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened up the intellect and heart of a young boy in that audience. And so he said, questioned this particular ruler or leader. He said, if indeed you created this life in the jar. Then tell us, since you are the creator of this life, all of these moving things, tell us, how many did you create in there? <coughs> you are the creator of all of this life in this jar. How many of these maggots? How many of them did you create in there? Of course, he has no idea. He's looking and they're moving everywhere. Even if you try to count, you cannot. Going in and out of the meat and all types. He could not give an answer. And yet he claims he created them. He doesn't know how many he created. Then the boy says to him, Since you claim that you are the creator of them, you gave them life, when will you give them death? When will they all stop moving? When will they all die? 
Again, he has no idea. Maybe they'll survive a week in there, two weeks in there, a month in there. Has no idea how long those maggots will survive in there. Maybe just 24 hours. Has no idea. Because clearly he is not the one who is going to give them death. So now with those two questions, this man was exposed. You claim you created life, yet you do not know how much you created, how many of them. You claim you gave them life, but you do not know when you are going to give them death. Certainly it proved, he is not the Rabb, he is not the one with Rububiyyah, he is not the one who gave life or death to those maggots in the jar. And so, in this dua, you are affirming that Rububiyyah to Allah. We've mentioned in classes previously, even the mushrikun at the time of the Prophet ﷺ generally affirmed the rububiyyah of Allah, and not just at the time of the Messenger, but throughout history. The enmity that occurred between the people and their prophets that were sent to them throughout history was not over the issue of al-rububiyyah. It was over the issue of al-uluhiyyah, to single out Allah with worship, not to accept that Allah exists and Allah is the creator and Allah is the provider, Allah is the sustainer, Allah gives life, Allah gives death, not to accept those things. They accepted those things. But it was whether they would accept that Allah alone has the right to be worshipped. They did not accept that. They wanted to split their worship between Allah and the others. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ They, the ones who commit shirk, they take partners alongside Allah. Allah tells us in the Qur'an, Al-Baqarah, they take partners alongside Allah, those mushrikun. And they love those others as they love Allah. <coughs> so they claimed love for Allah. But at the same time, they also loved these other idols and statues and asnam, awthan, what they had. They loved them too. And then Allah tells us, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ those who believe they are greater in their love for Allah than those mushrikun. Those mushrikun claim love for Allah. But they also love their other idols. Allah tells us the believers, they are greater in their love for Allah. And that can have two meanings. In the tafsir of that particular ayah, that the believers are greater in their love for Allah than the mushrikun who say they love Allah too. The believers are greater in love for Allah than them in two ways. What are those two ways? One way anybody? Why are the believers greater in their love for Allah than the mushrikun? The mushrikun they say they love Allah. <coughs> That's one explanation that is one tafsir. The mushrikun their love was divided. A portion of it for Allah, but a portion of it for their idols. Whereas the love of the believers is undivided. It is pure for Allah. 
It is a complete love for Allah. Undivided. Not shared between anybody else. But the mushrikun, their love was divided and shared. Only a portion for Allah and a portion for their other gods. Hence the believers, they are greater in their love for Allah because theirs is undivided. The second tafsir. That's almost there. You're almost there, but you need to explain the point of why the believers, their love was greater than the mushrikun. Basically, meaning, in a nutshell, that even the love the mushrikun did have for their idols, they love their idols, and they love their idols a lot. They love their idols. But the level of love they had for their idols, the level was not comparison, it was not comparable to the level of love the believers have for Allah. The mushrikun, mushrikun, people of shirk, they loved their idols. At the time of Ibrahim alayhi salam, when the idols were broken, they built a huge fire to burn Ibrahim for that. They loved their idols. They said, take revenge. Burn him. And Ibn Kathir, he mentions, I think in Al-Bidayah or maybe in the Tafsir, they built a fire like a bonfire. They built a bonfire so big that when they wanted to burn Ibrahim, they, the guards couldn't take him up to the fire and throw him in. Nobody could get near it. It was such a big bonfire. You couldn't get near it because of the heat. So they had to make a catapult to throw Ibrahim into it from a distance. They loved their idols. Yet, no matter how much they loved their idols, the believers, أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ Their love for Allah is greater than the love the mushrikun had for their idols. So even comparable, their love for the idols compared to the love for the uh, uh, believers to Allah, the love of the believers to Allah is a greater love than the love of the mushrikun to their idols. And it can be argued that they loved their idols fiercely. Yet that love is nothing compared to the love a believer has for Allah. So that is uh, two explanations the scholars have mentioned. Then, La ilaha illa ant. This is of course the affirmation of the uluhiyya. La ma'abuda bihaqqin siwaka. Fa'anta wahdaka al-mustahiq lil-ibada. وهذا تحقيق لتوحيد الألوهية ولهذا أعقبه بقوله وأنا عبدك أي وأنا عابد لك فأنت المعبود بحق لا معبود بحق سواك So there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except you This is an affirmation of the oneness of Allah in terms of our worship to Him Because you can say generally very loosely and briefly that Ar-Rububiyyah is to single out Allah with His actions. He is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the giver of life and death. His actions. Single out Allah with His actions. Al-Uluhiyyah is singling out Allah with 
our actions, with our worship, our obedience, everything we do, we single it out, make it sincere and pure to Allah alone. Why is it then, we've mentioned this many a time, if the mushrikun believed in the rububiyyah, but they disputed in the uluhiyyah, then why was the rububiyyah mentioned in the Qur'an so much when there was no dispute on it? Because al-rububiyyah tastalzim al-uluhiyyah. There's a, a, a relationship that works in two different ways. In terms of al-rububiyyah to al-uluhiyyah, it is a relationship of al-rububiyyah tastalzim al-uluhiyyah. If you believe in rububiyyah that Allah is the sole creator, provider, sustainer, giver of life and death, then you should believe that He is therefore the only one deserving of worship. He's the only one who created, provided, sustained. He's the only one who deserves worship then. So rububiyyah necessitates al-uluhiyyah. But what is the relationship of al-uluhiyyah back to rububiyyah? If you give one word, if the first one is al-rububiyyah tastalzim al-uluhiyyah, al-uluhiyyah what al-rububiyyah? What verb will give the answer in a word? Dependent, sort of, uh, they use a different word, almost that, but slightly different to it. They say, Al-Uluhiyya tatadhamman al-Rububiyya. Necessitates? No, necessitates is the other one. Al-Rububiyya necessitates al-Uluhiyya. If you believe Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, etc., that necessitates that you should worship Him alone. Al-Uluhiyya tatadhamman al-Rububiyya. It is inclusive of al-Rububiyya. Because if you have got to the stage of accepting al-Uluhiyya, you've only got to that stage because you have accepted al-Rububiyya. You have accepted al-Uluhiyya and you are upon al-Uluhiyya because that is inclusive of, it incorporates within it al-Rububiyya. You believe Allah is the creator, provider, sustainer, that's why you are Worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, your creator, your provider, your sustainer. So they say, Al-Uluhiyya tatawamman ar-rububiyya. That's what you'll find in the books of Aqeedah. Al-Uluhiyya, it is inclusive of ar-rububiyya. Whereas ar-rububiyya isn't inclusive of al-uluhiyya, it necessitates it. Al-rububiyya necessitates al-uluhiyya, al-uluhiyya incorporates ar-rububiyya. So that is the reason why it's mentioned in order to necessitate upon the mushrikun that if you believe Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the one who gives life, the one who gives death, then you should be worshipping him. It is an establishment of the evidence upon the mushrikun. And then, وَأَنَا عَلَىٰ أَهْدِكَ وَوَعْدِكَ مَسْتَطَعْتْ That I am upon you are now also acknowledging at the beginning of the dua that I am upon your covenant. I am upon the covenant that is upon me, meaning the sharia that is upon me. I am in line and bound by that. 
اي وانا على ما عاهدتك عليه ووعدتك من الايمان بك والقيام بطاعتك وامتثال اوامرك that i am upon the covenant i am upon the the sharia bound by it in terms of my iman in you and iman in all of the other affairs of the religion in terms of me establishing my worship to you and following your commandments mastata'tu to the level of my capability ala qadr istita'ati fa innahu subhanahu la yukallifu nafsan illa wus'aha because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not burden a soul more than it can bear so you say mastata'tu to what i am capable of and can bear then i am upon your obedience and worship that's why in the hadith it mentions ma amartukum bihi fa'tu minhu mastata'tum what i have commanded you with then do as much as you are capable of but then in the same hadith it says wa ma nahaytukum anhu fajtanibu and that's it not fajtanibu mastata'tum in the prohibition it doesn't say and stay away from what you are capable of in the command do what you are capable of but in the prohibition abstain from everything not just abstain from what you are capable of so why is capability mentioned with the awamir with the commandments but capability doesn't come into it with the prohibitions why the difference absolutely commandments require activity they require you to do something so you are commanded to pray it requires you to get up to make wudu to go to the mosque to stand to bow to prostrate it requires activity from you to fulfill the commandments hajj requires that activity from you to go and do the hajj the zakat requires for you to get the proportionate amount of money give it saum fasting requires from you to fulfill the uh, uh, the uh, commandment of fasting by taking the suhoor in the morning iftar in the evening abstaining from the other actions it is all activity required from you in doing the commandments and if that is the case people are going to differ in their level of ability in regards to that activity so now with the prayer a particular person may not have the ability to stand up so he's going to pray sitting down a person may not have the ability to sit so he's going to pray lying down a person may be completely paralyzed how's he going to pray even lying down he can't do anything motionless paralyzed then they say in the books of fiqh he prays with his eyes bows with his eyes prostrates with his eyes So when it comes to the commandments a person has to do activity and so everybody's going to have a different level of ability with the activity but when it comes to the prohibitions 
there is no activity. What is required from you with the prohibitions is a lack of activity. And a lack of activity doesn't require any effort. You are prohibited from drinking alcohol, so you simply don't do anything. Don't get up and go to the shop. Don't buy the alcohol. Don't do anything. So with the prohibition, nothing is required of you. It is required that you don't do anything. And to not do anything requires no effort. Therefore, capability doesn't come into it. So with the commandments, then you do what you are capable of. And with the prohibitions, then you have to do everything because you are capable of it all. There is no activity, no effort required to stay away from something. Then it mentions, أَعُوذُ بِكَ أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِن شَرِّ مَا صنعت. That I seek refuge with you from the evil of what I have done. أَيْ أَلْتَجِئُ إِلَيْكَ يَا اللَّهِ وَأَعْتَصِمُ بِكَ مِن شَرِّ الَّذِي صَنَعَتُهُ مِن شَرِّ مَغَبَّتِهِ so then you say, I seek refuge with you from the evil of what I have done. From the evil of what I have done. So you are then, we mentioned this last week, أعوذ, you are seeking refuge, you are seeking protection, you are resorting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from the evil of what you may have done, meaning the consequences of that, to protect you from the evil consequences and torment and punishment and lack of forgiveness to protect you from those affairs and to protect you from returning back to the evil that you may have done from the, the disgraceful actions and the, the uh, 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 degrading characteristics that you were upon. That I acknowledge your blessing upon me. This is what you say in the dua. I acknowledge your blessing upon me. أَعْتَرِفُ بِعِظَمِ إِنْعَامِكَ عَلَيَّ وَتَرَادُ فِي فَضْلِكَ وَإِحْسَانِكَ That I acknowledge the great blessing that you have placed upon me and the, 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 the consistent, continuous uh, goodness and virtues that you have placed upon me. وَفِي ضِمْنِ ذَلِكَ شُكَّرْ uh, شكر المنعم سبحانه والتبري من كفران النعم. So within that is showing your gratitude and thankfulness to Allah سبحانه وتعالى, and you are distancing yourself from the kufr النعمة. What is the kufr in terms of blessings and gratitude? Uh, in terms of blessings, the kufr النعمة is that you reject the blessings of Allah. How do you reject the blessings of Allah? It doesn't mean that you don't take them. You take them. The blessings, they come upon you, you're taking them. But how are you rejecting them though? Ascribing them to others and Allah. 
to ascribe them to other than Allah, meaning you're not thanking Allah for those blessings, you're not demonstrating your gratitude for those blessings, and the way to thank Allah for blessings is to use them in obedience, to speak of them in goodness that Allah bestowed upon you, to show your gratitude to Allah, use them in goodness and obedience to Allah. If you use the blessing in haram, it is a sign of your lack of gratitude and thankfulness for that blessing. If you use it in haram, but if you use it in halal, that is a means of thankfulness to Allah for that blessing. وَأَبُوءُ بِذَنْبِي Meaning, at the beginning of the dua, you are also saying, and I acknowledge my sinning. أُقِرْ بِذَنْبِي وَهُوَ مَرْتَكَبْتُهُ مِنْ إِثْمْ وَخَطِيئَةِ مِنْ تَقْصِيرٍ فِي وَاجِبْ أَوْ فِعْلٍ لِمَحْضُورٍ at the beginning of the dua, you are also saying, I acknowledge that I have fallen into sins and wrongs, and I acknowledge my shortcoming in the obligations or in terms of having done something that is incorrect. And having that recognition and being able to admit and acknowledge your shortcomings, then that is a means to successful tawbah. A person who can't admit their wrongdoing, how is he going to repent? You must admit and acknowledge your shortcomings. And in fact, that's why they say, when you exit from the bathroom, there's a narration that mentions you're supposed to say, Ghufranaka. When you exit from the bathroom after answering the call of nature, you say, Ghufranaka, I seek your forgiveness. What are you seeking forgiveness for? You've just been to the bathroom, you've answered the call of nature. You've implemented all of the sunnah, you've washed as you're supposed to, you've done everything. Why are you seeking forgiveness? What have you done there? Because you couldn't remember Allah's opportunity. Because you recognize... You recognize that during that time you were in the toilet, it is impermissible to engage in in dhikr and worship and Qur'an and those affairs. It is impermissible to engage in those things in the toilet. So that time is like, like time that you have been unable to do the remembrance of Allah. So when you exit, now you are free to remember Allah and do the du'as and the supplications again. You seek forgiveness from Allah for that time that became kind of null and void for you. You were unable to do the remembrance of Allah during that time. So you seek forgiveness from Allah when you exit to that level. <coughs> then after all of that, after all of that introduction into the dua, then you say, Fafirli, so forgive me. أي يا الله جميع الذنوب فإن رحمتك واسعة. That oh Allah, despite all of the sins, your mercy is expansive. Your mercy is great. وصفحك كريم. And you pardoning and overlooking. You have that generosity in that affair. وَلَا يَتَعَاظَمُكَ ذَنْبٌ أَن And there is no sin that is too great or overwhelming 
for you to forgive. There is no sin that is too great or overwhelming for you to forgive. فَأَنْتَ الْغَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ You are the oft forgiving, the oft merciful. وَلَا يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا أَنْتْ And nobody forgives the sins other than you. As Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا فَعَلُوا فَاحِشَةً أَوْ ظَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ ذَكَرُوا اللَّهِ That those who do some lewd act or they uh, oppress themselves, ذَكَرُوا اللَّهِ They remember Allah. فَاسْتَغْفَرُوا لِذُنُوبِهِمْ So they seek forgiveness for their sins. وَمَنْ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And who forgives their sins except Allah? <coughs> then at the end, ثُمَّ إِنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَدْ خَتَمَ هَذَا الدُّعَاءِ بِبَيَانِ الْأَجْرِ الْعَظِيمِ وَالثَّوَابَ الْجَزِيلِ الَّذِي يَنَالُهُ مَنْ يُحَافِظْ عَلَيْهِ كُلَّ صَبَاحٍ وَمَسَعٍ Then the Prophet ﷺ at the end of the narration highlighted the great reward that a person gains, the one who guards over this supplication and says it in the morning and the evening. So he said, مَنْ قَالَهَا Whomsoever says it, أَيْ هَأُولَاءِ الْكَلِمَاتِ Meaning these words, this dua, مِنَ النَّهَارِ during the morning, the daytime, مُوقِنًا biha With absolute certainty in all of it and what is said in it. أي مُصَدِّقًا biha وَمُعْتَقِدًا لَهَا لِكَوْنِهَا مِنْ كَلَامِ الْمَعَصُومِ الَّذِي لَا يَنْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى That you believe in everything that is said in those words. You have absolute iman and certainty in all of that, knowing it is from the one who does not speak from his desires. وَمَا يَنْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى in huwa illa wahyun yuha. The Prophet ﷺ does not speak from his desires, rather that is revelation inspired upon him. And so you know this is revelation inspired upon the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, so you believe in all of that. فَمَاتَ مِنْ يَوْمِهِ قَبْلَ أَنْ يُمْسِيَ And then you end up dying that day before the night, before the evening. فَهُوَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ Then you'll be from the people of paradise. وَمَنْ قَالَهَا مِنَ اللَّيْلِ وَهُوَ مُوْقِنٌ بِهَا And whoever reads this dua in the evening, the evening adhkar, with certainty in what is mentioned in it, in the rububiyyah, the uluhiyah, all of those things. Certainty in this dua with the meanings and everything. And then you die, مَا تَقَبْلَ أَنْ يُصْبِحَا before the next morning, that night you then die, you do this supplication in your evening du'as, then that night you die, فَهُوَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ Then he will be from the people of paradise. وَإِنَّمَا حَازَ الْمُحَافِظُ عَلَى هَذَا الدُّعَى هَذَا الْمَعْعُودِ الْكَرِيمُ وَالْأَجْرَ الْعَظِيمُ وَالثَّوَابَ الْجَزِيلِ لِأَنَّهُ افْتَتَحَ نَهَارَهُ وَاخْتَتَمَهُ بِتَوْحِيدِ اللَّهِ فِي رُبُوبِيَّتِهِ وَأُلُوهِيَّتِهِ وَالْاَعْتِرَافِ بِالْعُودِيَّةِ وَمُشَاهَدَةِ الْمِنَّةِ وَالْاَعْتِرَافِ بِالنِّعْمَةِ And the reason why the person who maintains this supplication in the morning and the evening, the reason why he gets this, this huge promise, promise of paradise, 
The reason why he gets this great para- uh, 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 promise and this great reward for just doing that dua, the reason is because he is opening up his day in the morning adhkar and then closing off his day in the evening adhkar by making mention of the rububiyyah of Allah and the uluhiyyah of Allah and the recognition that he is just a servant of Allah in need of worshipping Allah and in recognition of all of the blessings that Allah has placed upon him وَمُطَالَعَةِ عَيْبِ النَّفْسِ وَتَقْصِيرِهَا And your recognition of your shortcomings and sins, you mentioned them there in that dua. You're mentioning those in the morning and the evening, recognizing your shortcomings. وَطَلَبُ الْعَفْوِ وَالْمَوْفِرَ مِنَ الْغَفَّارِ And then you are seeking that pardon and that forgiveness from the oft forgiving. مَعَ الْقِيَامِ عَلَى قَدَمِ الذُّلْ and doing all of that dua, you are doing it in a position of absolute humility, in a position of absolute submission to Allah. So there are great meanings in this dua that you open up your day with and close your day with. جَدِيرٌ صَاحِبُهَا أَوْ الْمُحَافِظُ عَلَيْهَا بِالْعَفُوَ وَالْغُفْرَانِ The one who guards over this supplication, the one who memorizes it or says it, then he is worthy of getting this great promise of forgiveness. وَالْعُتْقْ مِنَ النِّيرَانِ And to be freed from the fire. وَالْدُّخُولْ لِلْجَنَانِ And to be entered into the paradises, the gardens of paradise. نَسْأَلُ اللَّهَ الْكَرِيمَ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ we ask Allah, <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from His virtue upon us. That is where we'll conclude for today. That is one particular dua. That is the dua that was mentioned. Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa ant khalaqtani wa ana abduka wa ana ala ahdika wa wa'adika mastada'at. A'udhu bika min sharri ma sana'atu abu'u laka bi ni'matika aliyya. وَأَبُوءُ لَكَ بِذَنْبِي فَاغْفِرْ لِي فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَغْفِرُ الظَّنُوبَ إِلَّا أَنْتْ That is the dua that a person makes in the morning and the evening. And that's what we'll conclude upon today. Inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll do the next chapter coming up. وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَى نَبِيَّنَا مُحَمَّدُ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ وَسَلَّمُ